So, have you ever answered a phone call when the person who's calling clearly knows who you are, but you have no idea who they are? You know what I'm talking about? Now, it's a little bit harder to get into this situation nowadays because our phones tell us names, numbers, all that sort of stuff. Um, but some of you, not all of you, but some of you will remember a time when all we had were dumb phones. All it did was ring. It had no display. It didn't tell you the number. It didn't tell you who was calling. It just made a noise. And you picked it up and said hello. And then it was anybody's guess as to who was on the other end. Um, and so you might answer a call in that situation, or, or sometimes even today, and the caller's going, hey, Jeff, it's so good to talk to you. How are you doing? And I'm thinking, well, how am I doing? I'd be a whole lot better if I knew who this was. You know, because if you don't know who you're talking to, it really affects the conversation. You're not really sure what you ought to say or what, you know, what you might say. You're going to kind of be guarded in a sense. You're not sure what tone to use. You don't know what, uh, how to address them. You don't know what words are appropriate. I mean, I could be talking to a plumber. I could be talking to the Pope. I don't know. It could be either. Probably not the Pope. Pope does not call me. Um, but the point is, if you don't know who you're talking to, you, you just naturally are going to probably default to being more formal, right? Until you kind of figure out who this is. So relationship determines how you talk to somebody. And so if that's the case, then it stands to reason that your understanding of what God is really like will affect your prayers. Nothing influences your prayer life more than how you view God. Now, a lot of people have a whole lot of misconceptions about who God is, and I've actually made a little list for us. So see if any of these kind of resonate with you. Um, some people think God is the grumpy God. He's cranky, he's angry, he's upset all the time, and you can never please him. Some people have what I would call the crouching tiger God. He's ready to pounce on you the moment that you do something wrong. Some people have what you would call the flaky God. He's moody. He's want to change his mind. You know, one minute he likes you, the next minute he doesn't. Never really sure where he's coming from. Some think of God as the cosmic cop. His whole goal is just to make sure you keep the rules. As long as you keep the rules, you're okay. Or, to some people, he's the dictator God. He's always demanding more, more, more of this, more of that, more holiness, more less sinning, more, 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 never satisfied with how you are. Or there's also the Santa Claus God. You know, he's making a list, checking it twice. He's definitely checking if you've been naughty or nice. And then a lot of people have what you might call the Play-Doh God, where you can just make God into any form you want. I think I like God, sort of like, you know, the story goes that Thomas Jefferson edited his New Testament. And he just took out the passages he didn't like. Hello? So that's kind of what we're talking about 
That may be God calling, you never know. Um, well, you know, I'm sorry, but it doesn't really matter what you like to think or how you like to think about God. When it comes to God, it's what he is really like, not what you like to think of him, because you're just guessing. And so it's extremely important that you and I all know the real God. Because if we have a misconception about who God is, then prayer is going to be a drudgery, prayer is going to be boring, prayer is going to be something I have to do, I've got to do, I should do, I must do, not something I want to do. And guilt motivation does not work. So you, you can't effectively guilt yourself into praying, and God certainly does not want you to pray out of a sense of guilt. You have to have the right concept of God. Noted uh, pastor and theologian A.W. Tozer wrote, What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you because it affects everything else in your life. So what's God like? Well, he has a lot of different characteristics. He's omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, which just means he's all-powerful, all-knowing, and can be everywhere at the same time. The Bible also tells us that God is holy, God is just, God is kind, God is loving, God is faithful. Many, many, many different characteristics about God. But I want us to look this morning to just look at one, and that is the goodness of God. And that's important because it's the goodness of God that is the basis for all prayer. If God is not a good God, then you have zero reason to pray. You have zero motivation to pray. But because God is always good, then there are at least four implications of his goodness that directly relate to how we pray. And I really want you to understand these because once you finally get this, then you will really enjoy praying. It, it, it stops becoming a duty or a drudgery and really becomes something that you want to engage in. So let's look at these. So the first implication... is this one. Because God is always good, God's plans for your life will always be good. People will sometimes ask you know, this question, is there anything that God can't do? Yeah, there actually are a number of things God can't do. God can't do anything that goes against his nature. So if God is good, he cannot be bad or evil. So it follows that because God is always good, God's plans for my life will always be good. So let's take a look at a scripture. This is Jeremiah 29, verses 11 and 12. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. Can you see the connection now between God's plans for your life and prayer? God didn't have to create a plan for your life. He could have just let you be born and there would be no plan. 
But in the kingdom, everything has a purpose and a plan. And so a lot of people will ask, well, how do I know what God's plan is for me? Well, God's plan is revealed to you and realized to you through prayer. The more that you pray, the more you're going to understand God's plan for your life. He says right in that scripture, I have good plans for you. I'm not going to hurt you. They're plans to give you hope. I want to give you a good future. And when you call to me and pray, I'm going to listen to you. So God is telling you, everything I do in your life is good. I don't have any bad plans. I'm not going to hurt you. Well, inevitably then, upon hearing that, someone will always say, well, my life is not so good, so God must be getting even with me. God does not get even with people. Other people may have bad plans for your life. You may make some bad plans for your life. But God has only good for your life. So then someone inevitably will say, well, Jeff, not everything in my life is good. Well, guess what? God never promised that. He didn't say that everything in your life that happened in your life would always be good. He just says, I have good plans for you. You can miss God's plans. Right? God, um, God didn't promise that everything in your life was going to always have a happy ending. We live on a broken planet. Everything, everything on this planet is broken. Have you noticed that? Your body is broken. It doesn't always work the right way. Your mind is broken. It doesn't always think the way it ought to think. The weather is broken. The economy is broken. Relationships are broken. Everything on the planet is broken. So God didn't say, I promise you perfection. That's called heaven. We should not, although it's great that we sing this, but we should not expect the fullness of heaven to be on earth until that time comes, and that time is not yet. In heaven, there's no sorrow, sadness, sickness, suffering, none of that. But here, we get brokenness. But God says, even in the middle of all of this brokenness, I have a good plan for your life. He says, even when you make bad choices, I'm greater than the choices you make, and I can even fit the dumb decisions that you make into the good plan for your life. What a God. This is a God who can turn a crucifixion into a resurrection. We have to learn that God's plans for your life will always be good because God is a good God. And the more that you get to know him through prayer, the more you're going to understand his plans for you. All right, second implication. God always gives you what you need, not what you deserve. If you and I got what we deserved, we wouldn't even be here. Psalm 103, verse 10 says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Why? Because Jesus Christ paid for all of our sins 
and all of our iniquities. And if you think you still have to pay for your own sins and your wrongs, then why did Jesus even die on the cross? That's called double jeopardy, folks. That's being convicted of the same, accused and tried for the same crime twice. If you've put your trust in Christ, then all of your sins have been paid for, so why would you now have to pay for them? And then we drop down uh, two verses in Psalm 103 to verse 12, where it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Now, I like the fact that he says east and west because there's really no end to east and west. We, you know, we have a north pole, we have a south pole, so those kind of have some boundaries, but east and west really don't. And this says that God just takes our sins and he wipes them completely out. There's a verse in the Bible that says he puts them in the deepest part of the sea, metaphorically. And then he puts up a no fishing sign. So if God has forgiven you, don't go casting around trying to, to pull them back up out of the sea. Let's make it real clear. God forgives you not because you're good. God forgives you because he's good. It's not based on your goodness. He has a plan, and it's a good plan, and when you blow it and he need forgiveness, then he gives you forgiveness because he is a good God. Now the cool thing about this is that not only does God forgive your sins when you come and you ask, but he welcomes you back. Now see, this is a big deal. He doesn't reject you when you sin. He receives you back. This is the exact opposite thing of what people do. When you hurt somebody, when you sin against them, do they want to receive you back? Probably not. They want to be standoffish. They want to be distant. They want to push you away. And yet God says, even when you sin, because I am a good God, I will receive you. I will not reject you. God is totally unlike people in this regard. Because God is good, and he's always good, and he's never bad, he will never, 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 never reject you. Even when you sin against him, you hurt someone else, you don't do what you're told. You can always come back. He will receive you. Just come back humbly. The verse in Hebrews. Trust me, there's a verse in Hebrews. <laughs> 4, 15, and 16. Chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, that says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus understands our weaknesses. God knows your weaknesses probably better than you do. And in fact, he probably knows weaknesses that you have that you don't even know are weak yet. Okay. 
So God gives me what I need, not what I deserve. When I need forgiveness, I receive forgiveness. I don't get judgment, and it's all because of what Jesus did for us. Third implication is that God puts your good above his own good. Folks, this is the heart of the gospel. This is the good news that the king sacrifices himself for the peasants. This is the only story in the world where the king dies for his people. It's the gospel. That's what makes our faith different from every other storyline in the world. God says you've sinned, you deserve punishment, you deserve to go to hell, but I'm a good God, I love you, and I'm also just and holy, so somebody has got to pay for the sin. So here's the deal, I'll do it. I'll pay for your sins, I will come to earth as the Son of God, and I will die for your sins. It's the ultimate expression of love. The shepherd dies for the sheep. Look at John uh, chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. It says, I am the good. Note the word good. I am the good shepherd. I have my own, I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. You know, when you think about this, it's almost unbelievable. And I'll tell you what. If any of you had a flock of sheep, would anybody here be willing to die for one of them? No. They're just sheep. And I'm going to go out on a limb somewhat, I don't think very far, and say historically that it's pretty likely that no shepherd ever died intentionally for a sheep. I just don't think sheep are worth that much that anyone ever would. Now maybe one was trying to chase a lion off and had some misfortune, but they didn't intend for that to work out that way. But God, who's the creator of the universe, died for you. The shepherd died for the sheep. And while the cross was the instrument of the cruelest form of death man had ever devised, we know it now is the greatest symbol imaginable of the goodness of God. And then there's this mind-blowing thing that actually comes after this. So not only did Jesus pay for your sins, but then there's something else. Well, we're just going to have to, you have to take my word for it. This is uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus takes the guilt and punishment of every rape, every murder, every gossip, every lie, every molestation, every evil, every tax evasion, Everything ever done wrong in history. Then in exchange, he pours his goodness into you. When God looks at you, he doesn't see the sin. 
He sees all the goodness of Christ. He takes the bad out and he puts the good in. That's the great exchange. Now, what in the world does all this have to do with prayer? Well, it has everything to do with prayer. If you don't understand what I just said, you'll never really understand prayer. What God did for you at the cross makes prayer possible. When Jesus Christ died for you on the cross, he solved the biggest problem you will ever have. Any other problem that you have in your life is literally small potatoes. And if God loved you enough to die for you, don't you think he loves you enough to help you with your bills and your health and your relationships? There is nothing that you cannot bring to God in prayer. Because he loves you that much. All right, the fourth implication. You're not going to like this one. God does not say yes to your every request. There is nothing in the Bible that says that everything you ask for, you're going to get, no matter how self-centered or off-base or whatever it is. We talked about this last week, if you were here. We said that no loving parent would ever give a child everything they ask for. We also mentioned that God is not your genie, he's not your magic wand, and he's not your vending machine. See, a vending machine will give you stuff that's not good for you. God would never give you something that wasn't good for you. Now, last week I told you that God always answers every prayer, just not always the way you want. Now, I said last week uh, that there were four ways that God answers prayer. Yes, no, not yet, and you've got to be kidding me. All right. I'm really just kind of kidding about that last one. So there's really just three answers. I don't think God actually says, you've got to be kidding me. But there are three. One possible answer is no. When a request is not right, God says no. God probably has said no to a lot of your prayer requests, just like a parent can say no to a child for all of a hundred good reasons. And just like parents, God does not owe you an explanation for every time he says no to something that you ask for. You may know why when you get to heaven, you may not. But in the here and now, you're not going to know the reasons why God said no. But no is a legitimate answer from God. I mean, and I've run across this. Some people think that unless they get a yes, that God has not answered their prayers. That's just not true. So no is one possible answer. Not yet is another possible answer. So when the timing's not right, but it's a good request, God, God might say, not yet. 
See, there's a big difference between delay and denial. No and not yet are not the same thing. Now, if you don't understand that, it means uh, you're immature because kids typically don't understand the difference between no and not yet. If a parent says not yet to a child, then they think it means no, and they typically have a fit. Maturity is when you learn the difference between no and not yet. And the thing is, maybe the delay is caused by your lack of spiritual maturity in a certain area. And God wants you to grow up in that area before unconditionally saying yes. So delay is not denial. Sometimes God says, yes, I'm going to give this to you, but it's just going to be a while. It might even be years. You don't know, but God does. Okay. So we have no, we have not yet, and then we have yes. Now when the request is right, and it's not some kind of a self-centered thing, the timing is right, you're right with God, then God says, yes, all systems go, green light, I'm going to give this to you. All three of those are legitimate answers. Many times you'll hear no, many times it's wait, and many times he'll say yes. And when God says no or not yet, I think we need to have a particular scripture handy because this helps um, when you really can kind of think and pray this. I would suggest this might not even be a bad verse to memorize. It's Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. This is why he doesn't answer the way we want him to many times. I can almost imagine him saying, Jeff, you know, you're praying at one level, but I'm thinking about your life at a different level. Because I want good for you more even than you want good for you. question is, will you trust him? And I think until you are absolutely convinced that God is a good God and that he's always good and he never does bad in your life, your prayers are going to be powerless, passionless, and pointless. On the other hand, when you realize that no matter how you feel or no matter what it looks like, God is for you and he's not against you, when you fully grasp that God is a good God and that, that fact, becomes the foundation of all of your prayers, now your prayers become passionate and they become purposeful and they have a point to them and you have power in your prayer. So we're doing this series during this season of Lent. So let me ask you a question. What do you want to see happen in your life over the next 35 days? I think it's seven Sundays until Lent. Five. Seven. 
Don't do math on the fly. <laughs> I want you to commit for the next 35 days to learning how to pray. Now I'm going to continue to teach on this and you, so that you can then apply what you're learning to this, but you already have enough to start. So it starts now with this understanding of the goodness of God. I don't think there's anything more important in your life than learning how to pray effectively. It's how you tap into the power of God. His presence and His peace, His purpose, and His plan. It's how you get access to all of those things. So what do you want to see happen in the next 35 days? I want you to really start thinking about that. And as, as your pastor, I'm going to ask you specifically to pray for three things every day for the next 35 days. Three things. One, Lord, revive my heart. Lord, revive my heart. Two, Lord, reveal my ministry. Lord, reveal my ministry. And three, Lord, release all your gifts on my church family. Lord, revive my heart. Lord, reveal my ministry. Lord, release all your gifts on my church family. And I think if you will pray those in addition to asking God for what else he has for you, that we'll see some amazing things happen over the next couple of weeks. Let's pray. Lord, there are so many reasons why we don't talk to you. And in the moment, they all seem like good reasons. But if we, are, if we step back and really examine what it is we're putting in place of that, and if we're honest with ourselves, we could probably say that none of the reasons that we have really are very good. There's always enough time to do the things that we truly want to do. So Father, I ask that you send your Holy Spirit to truly convict all of us not condemn that's not part of it but convict all of us of the importance of talking with you on a daily basis
if that's already a part of your of someone's prayer practice, then Father, I just ask that you increase it. That you make it longer. If it's not part of someone's prayer practice, then Father, convict them to begin. This church will only go so far as the people will pray for it. And so if we are truly to have an impact in Ashland and in all the communities beyond, yes, we can love others, we can serve others, We can function in spiritual gifts. But really, all of those things start with prayer. Prayer is what softens our heart to love. It's what moves our heart to serve. So make us a church of prayer. some of our prayer folks up front now. If you have any needs, if you need prayer for something, this is your opportunity to really receive that. God seems to be impressing upon me today that no need is too small. So oftentimes we think, well, it's just a headache or it's just a this or it's just a that and that's something that everybody has and I'm just going to have to deal with it. That's just wrong thinking. Remember what we said last week? If you care about something, God cares about it. And so if there's a physical thing that's troubling you, God cares about that. If there's a work thing that's troubling you, God cares about that. It's not limited to one thing or another. So take advantage of the folks that are here ready, willing, and able to pray with you about anything and everything. So Lord, we just thank you. We take this time now to just sit and reflect and to receive whatever it is that you have for us. Bless all those who are here. Bless the rest of their day and the week to come. Continue to work in their lives and bring that conviction to begin or to continue talking with you every day no exceptions even if it's only for a few moments bless them until 
we have the chance to be together again. And in all things, we just give you thanks and praise, honor and glory. And we ask all this now in Jesus' name.